Welcome to our Painesville Assembly of God podcast. Our desire is to connect people to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. If this message touches your heart, we'd love to hear about it. Email us at info at or visit PainesvilleAG.com. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to your faith. We are continuing to talk about this idea of spiritual fitness. So as we kicked off a new year and many people start to focus on maybe things like physical health or financial health or making goals for where they want to be in their career or relationships, I think that above all, uh, one of the things that we need to continue to think about is how to train for godliness. In fact, uh, 1 Timothy 4, 7 and 8, it's been our base text, uh, Paul wrote to Timothy, his son in the faith, and he said, have nothing to do with irreverent or silly myths, rather train yourself for godliness, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life, and then also there's a benefit for the life to come. So it's not just for today, but there is benefit as we begin to train ourselves for godliness even on into eternity. And we've said that the word train comes from the Greek word gymnazo, where we get our word gymnasium from. And as followers of Jesus, Paul encourages Timothy, and we are encouraged to be involved in training our soul for godliness. So we've been talking about different ways to do that. Last week, we talked about the importance of spending time with the Lord in prayer and how important prayer is. Well, today, I want to share with you about the amazing Word of God. How many believe that God's Word, the Bible, has amazing value to train us for godliness? And so today we're going to talk about the Bible. We're going to talk about how important it is to develop a habit of reading God's Word, to develop a habit of getting into the Scriptures of God's Word and, uh, and why that is so important for us. I don't know if you know some of these statistics or not, but according to the Guinness Book of World Records, the Bible holds the record in books sold and distributed throughout history. The Bible holds the record for that. It's the highest selling, most widely distributed book ever. Here's some stats. Since 1815, over 5 billion, 5 billion copies of the Bible have been sold and distributed. It's been translated into 1,442 different languages, and other portions have been translated into 1,145 languages. So the total languages or dialects of those languages is about 2,587, and it is still being translated actively today. Wow. I got excited about those stats. I don't know. The problem is, is that people's attitudes toward the Bible is a different issue. In fact, I'd like to categorize different attitudes that people have towards Scripture and probably put them into three categories. There are people that that simply would, would look at the Bible and they'd say, you know, that's just another book. The Bible's just another book. It's like any other book. It's like, you know, any other type of religious book, something you might find, you know, on the same playing field as, as maybe, uh, you know, the, the, the other types of, of books that, that kind of give some wisdom or whatever, but it's just another book. 
Some people would say, well, it's not just another book. It's a pretty important book, but it's not just another book. And then I think there's a third category of people, uh, I, I fit into this category, that would say it's the book. It's like the most important book. It is, it is the book. So I want to look at the first category, people that say just the, the Bible is just another book. And, you know, it, it contains some stories, some pretty crazy stories. It might contain some wisdom, and, and it contains a whole lot of names that are hard to pronounce. Today, I was in that. I was going through a genealogy in my Bible reading. How many of you find some of those names, particularly in the Old Testament? Like, I don't know how to say that, all right? You're not alone. I went to Bible college, and I still don't know how to say some of those names. I just kind of make it up. I'm Pentecostal, so sometimes it sounds a little bit like tongues, Okay. <laughs> you know, to them, that's the Bible. In fact, if, if you take a look at research that, that Barna has done, Barna Research Group that has done, only 19% of Americans are engaged Bible readers. Here's how they define engaged. Those who read the Bible at least four times a week. So if you read the Bible at least four times a week, you're in the 19% of Americans that have an active engagement in the Bible. The rest, 81% of Americans do not have an engagement with the Bible, do not engage with the Scriptures. That's a whole lot of people. In fact, uh, out, of, out of those, there's another 19% that would say that they are skeptics, that the Bible's just another book, it just contains stories and advice, it's, it's just another book. That's category number one. Category number two are those people who say, well, it's not just another book, I think it's a pretty important book. I think it's, it's, it's important. It's, at least that's what my pastor thinks. It's an important book. In fact, it's an important book so much so that I have one. In fact, according to Lifeway uh, publishers, 85% of U.S. households own a Bible, and the average household owns 4.3 Bibles. 4.3 Bibles. So there's only 19% of Americans are actually engaged reading the Bible at least four times a week. However, 85% of the households in America own uh, about four Bibles in their home. They may be on a shelf, they may be on a table, they may be under the bed, they may have dust, they may never be opened. But, it, but, but at least 85% have them. Why? Because, well, that's a pretty important book, or it was something that was passed down by my grandmother or my grandfather, or, or something that somebody said was important, and every once in a while I try to pick it up and read it and understand it, but I, but I, really, I, I really just don't. So, so the second people are those that kind of think that, that it's, it, it's important in some way. I refer to it from time to time. I, I'm kind of exposed a little bit to some of the teachings, but in terms of of, of, of personal engagement to where the Bible shapes my life and, and shapes my worldview. I mean, it's important, but I don't, I don't read it all the time. And then there's the third category. Again, it isn't just another book. The Bible's not just an important book. The Bible is the book. It shapes their worldview. They, they don't just read it, but they feed on it. They engage with it. They, they say that, that, that this, is, this is something that is so important that it shapes how I live, and it shapes the decisions that I make, and, and when I need answers, I, I know that if I'm, I'm reading, that, that, I can, that there, there, there are answers to how I ought to live in this book, and I try to live according to it, right? That's, that's the book. Walter Scott, who was a great British novelist, he, he was on his deathbed. 
And, and he called to his secretary and he said, get me the book. Get me the book. Well, he had a library of all kinds of books. And so she's like, you have to be more specific. Get me the book. What book do you want? You have a whole library verse of resources. And this is, this is what he said. He said, no, get me the book, the Bible, the only book for a dying man. Can I encourage you that the Bible is not just a book for people who are dying? The Bible is a book for everybody and people who are living. The Bible is a book that is living, living and active, Hebrews says, sharper than any two-edged sword. The, the Bible is alive. The, the Bible is alive. It, it, it is the very word of God. It, it, is, it is so important, the Bible is, is that, that, that we don't just live on bread alone by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Father, is what Scripture says. In fact, George Mueller, he found an orphanage and really was a man who lived by tremendous faith. I read his, his, his biography and it is absolutely incredible. If you want to be challenged in your faith, go out and read the biography of George Mueller. Learn about him. But, but he said this years ago, he said, the vigor of our spiritual life will be in exact proportion to the place held by the Bible in our life and our thoughts. The vigor of our spiritual life exact proportion to, to the place we hold the Bible in our thoughts and life. He says, I solemnly state this from the experience of 54 years. He said, the first three years after conversion, I neglected the Word of God. I really, he didn't engage with it. I didn't get into it. But he said, since I began to search diligently, the blessing has been wonderful. Great has been the blessing from consecutive, diligent, daily study. I look upon it, I love this last line, as a lost day when I have not had a good time over the Word of God. A lost day. That if I haven't had a chance to get in and engage with the Word of God, I consider it to be a lost day. I would think that George Mueller is in the third category of people who said, this isn't just another book, this is the book. This isn't just an important book. This is a, a book that shapes the very way I live my life. That, that's what he talks about. That's, that's what he sees. And, and I think that, that if we're true, there's probably a fourth book, and that's those who say, the Word of God is really important, I agree with that. And, and, I, and I do agree that it is the book, yet I'm struggling to be able to engage with the Bible. I'm struggling with, be, with, with being able to get in and develop a habit of reading God's Word, of, of getting in and developing that habit of reading His Word in my life. I know it's important, but you know, I got a lot going on and I'm really busy and I, I'm, I'm really struggling. And sometimes when I read it, I just really struggle to understand it. And so because of that, I just, I'm just not really engaged and getting into it as much. And so today, I, I, I want to get in and just really talk about the value of God's Word. And at the end, I'm going to provide some practical tips that I think will help you to be able to develop a habit of getting into God's Word and allowing God's Word to be the book that shapes how you live your life, that shapes the worldview from which you view uh, when I say worldview, that's the way in which you view the world, the way in which you view situations, the way in which you begin to approach life. People approach life from all kinds of different situations, sometimes from their experience, sometimes from their education, sometimes from the way that they grew up and what they were taught when they grew up and the certain values that they were taught. 
But I'm going to tell you that I believe that the best way for us to be able to live our lives is to approach the world through the lens of what Scripture says. That Scripture is the very thing that begins to shape and define how I see the world, how I respond to the world, and, and, and how I begin to live my life. So it's not just simple principles of, well, I like this and a little bit of that, and it's a recipe, and I sprinkle a little bit of Oprah in, and I sprinkle a little bit of this in. I don't want to pick on Oprah, but, you know, we, there's all these, you know, a little bit of this YouTube and a little bit of that YouTube and a little bit of this, and I put a recipe together, and that's how I view the world. I think we ought to start with the Bible. I think we ought to start with God's Word. And we allow God's Word to shape our view of life, not letting culture shape our view of life, and only aligning ourselves in the Scriptures as long as Scripture agrees with culture. I'm going to be honest with you, Scripture does not agree with culture. Rarely does Scripture agree with culture. So you can live your life by letting culture shape how you see the world, or you can live your life by allowing the Bible to shape your world, but the only way the Bible shapes your world is if you actually get into it, and you read it, and you learn how to study it, and you learn how to prioritize it, and you learn how to allow it to be something that is important to you in your life. Well, why should it be important? Let's start there. 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 14. But as for you, continue, this is again Paul speaking to his son in the faith, Timothy. As for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you have known the what? Holy Scriptures, which are able to, here's the benefits, Able to make you wise, we're going to talk about this in a little bit, wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So, so Paul, I'm going to pause for a moment, because Paul is telling Timothy, listen, you have a heritage. In, in an earlier passage of Scripture, he said, hey, stir up the gift of God that was in you, that was, that was first in your, in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. You, you have a history of people that have been teaching you and training you and telling you how to live life, including myself as, as someone who's come into your life as a mentor. But we didn't do it on our own. In fact, it is, it is from infancy. Here's what we've been teaching you. We've been teaching you and training you in what the Holy Scriptures say. In the Holy Scriptures. And, and why is that important? Because they're able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. How can they make us wise through salvation in Jesus Christ? Paul answers it right here. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting. Oh, here's that word again, spiritual fitness, training in righteousness. You want to be righteous, you got to be trained in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly Equipped, there's another training word, equipped for every good work, every good work. Paul is writing to Timothy, he's encouraging him, listen, continue, that word continue is ongoing, it is a habit, you need to continue in that, you need to be 
disciplined in that. You need to make a habit of that, of staying where? Continuing in what? Continuing to stay with what you've learned, continuing to stay in the value of the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise through faith in Christ Jesus. Not only that, but because of that, all Scripture, because the reason for that is all Scripture is God-breathed. God-breathed. In fact, the word God breathed in this engagement, verses 15 and 16, the scriptures, the word scripture in the Greek is graphe or graph. It's where we get that, that English word graph from, graphe. And, and if you think of it, it's kind of like an autograph or a photograph or a lithograph. It means writing. And what's important is, is God didn't just think about the things that were important. He didn't just think about his message. He didn't just reveal his, his message in dreams and visions. He didn't just speak his message, but he, he did it in such a way that he saw that it would be written down into human language for us. The Bible was composed over 16 centuries, approximately over the course of 1,500 years by 40 different authors. And if you look at it, there's one central theme throughout. One central theme. It was, it, was, it was written by soldiers and shepherds and scholars and fishermen. It began with Moses in a lonely uh, Arabian desert and finished with John on the lonely Isle of Patmos. It was penned by kings in palaces and in shepherds in tents and inmates in prison. Forty different writers, most unknown to each other, Writing in different countries and in three different languages, the Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic, written in three different languages, separated by three times of century uh, since Columbus discovered America. How's that possible? Because all Scripture is God-breathed. Not just some Scripture. All Scripture is God-breathed. Breathe. God breathed is two Greek words, theo, meaning God, and noustos, meaning breath. All Scripture is breathed into by God. So as I'm talking to you, my breath has been trained by my mind to add voice to it. And, and out of breathing, I'm speaking to you in the breath of these words. And so these, these words were breathed into by God breathed into by God, and, and so much perfectly so that this scripture, this written down, that, that the first century Jews believed that the Old Testament scriptures, that they were scripture, that they were God-breathed. The early church believed that. Peter declared this, no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That is so important to understand the foundation. Why is the Word of God so important? Because it is God-breathed, because its foundation is God, because these are the very words of God. They are God's breath, God's words. And beautifully, we see how the early church not only regarded the Old Testament scriptures, but how they talked about some of the writings of even in the New Testament, gospels and epistles. First Timothy 5.18, 1 
Paul uses the same word for scripture, graphe, that he uses in, 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 in 316 to refer to quotations from both the Old Testament and the New Testament. So for instance, he says this about the old, for scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. That's Deuteronomy 25, 4. And then he pairs with it the writings from the gospel where Jesus says in Luke 10, 7, the laborer deserves his wages. He, he mixes them and puts them together in a way that he indicates that even the New Testament scriptures were guided by God. Similarly, the apostle Peter includes Paul's writings in the category of scripture using the word graphe, again, the same word that, that is used here in terms of God breed, using this word, and he says about Paul, there are some things in them, meaning Paul's letters, that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. Graphe, the scriptures. So Peter is saying that the writings of Paul are scriptures, that they are God-breathed. And, and, and that's, that's, what, that's what Peter had regarded the very words of Paul. How is it possible for these authors to produce a book of a, a singular theme, 40 different authors all coming together, and, and as they write over 1,500 years in various places and various continents and not talking to each other, how is it possible that there is one theme that you can see throughout Scripture? It's because there was one mind and desire, designer behind it, one architect of the Scriptures, and that is God. God, God breathe, God breathe. Let me use an analogy. Sir Christopher Wren, the great English architect of his time, built St. Paul's Cathedral. At age 44, he began in the year 1676, and the cathedral was worked on for 35 years. It was completed in 1711 when Wren was 79 years of age. Now, Sir Christopher Wren built... <laughs> St. Paul's Cathedral, but actually he never laid a single stone. He didn't lay a single stone. There were, there were many different builders that were involved, but there was one mind, one architect, one inspiration behind it. And that is the way it is with Scripture. There are different people who had written, different authors who had written it down, but make no mistake about it, the Scriptures are God-breathed. There is one architect, one designer, one, one who, who, who breathed life into it, and it reveals himself, his character, who he is, and the very plan of salvation. How do you know who God is? You've got to read his word. How do you know who Jesus is? You've got to read his word, because the word of God reveals Jesus. The word of God reveals the very character and the very promises of God. So what are some of the benefits of developing a habit of engaging in God's word. What are, what are some of the benefits of doing that? Why should we spend time on, on a, a, I wanna encourage you on a daily basis, why do we spend time getting into God's word? Not just on Sundays when you hear me preach it, but why should you on Monday, on Tuesday, on Wednesday, on Thursday, on Friday, on Saturday, make a habit, a daily habit of reading and getting into God's word? Well, I want to look at, at, at someone from the Old Testament, a guy by the name of David. Yeah, the David who killed Goliath, that shepherd boy, giant killer David. Remember him? Yeah. 
he, he was a warrior king, and he loved God's Word. In fact, Psalm chapter 1 opens like this. This is a psalm that is written by David, and, and it opens like this. All the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked. Now, let me pause for a moment because I want to go back to the scripture that we started with. Uh, this whole series is based on because Paul says to Timothy, have nothing to do with irreverent or silly myths. Irreverent or silly myths. Now, David says, who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with the mockers, but they delight in the law of the Lord meditating on it day and night. You see the rhythm there? And then it says, why? Why is this so important? What is, why are they so blessed? Because they are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit in each season. Their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all they do. How many of you want to live fruitful lives? Anybody want to live fruitful lives? You want to live fruitful lives? I'm going to tell you something. David tells you the secret right here. The secret is in meditating on the Word of God day and night, developing a habit of learning how to delight in and find joy in and, 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 and value in meditating in the Word of God. The Word of God. For David, you, you say, wow, uh, man. David, he, he, but David didn't have the scriptures as we have them. They, were, they weren't completed at that point. What David's talking about are, are, are probably the first five books of the Bible. Uh, Genesis, Exodus, yes, even Leviticus and Numbers. Yes, how many of you found yourself in a Bible reading plan for the year and you got to Leviticus and Numbers and you're like, whew, I can't do this anymore, Right? Even Leviticus and Numbers have value. There's, there's value in Leviticus and, and Numbers and Deuteronomy. And, and David may have had the history books of, of, of Joshua and, and the times of the judges because Samuel, and, and the one who had come to him, had, had, had been there and finished up that time. And, and he may have known. I, I bet he know the story of Ruth since she was his great-grandmother, you know, that kind of thing. But that's about all he had. But David is one of the writers who God is breathing through. And how can God use somebody like David? Why is David someone who was called a man after God's own heart? Because David learned how to delight in the Lord his God and meditate on his word. David learned how to delight in the word of God, in the laws of God. Friends, you might say, I want to be a person. I want to be a man. I want to be a woman after God's heart. You can't do that apart from a rhythm, a habit of being in God's word on a regular basis. It, it, that, that's a habit of that. In another psalm of great value about the word and the law is Psalm 119, the largest chapter in the entire Bible. And in verse 97, see the largest chapter, 119, 97, he said, oh, how I love your instructions, how I think about them all day long. Why did David love God's word? Why is God's word of such value because David found that God's word made him wise. Your commandments in verse 98 make me wiser than my enemies for they are my constant guide. I'm gonna tell you that in the scripture there is wisdom for everyday life. 
There is wisdom for everyday life. And, and, and the problem is, is that oftentimes we like to view things through the natural lens and, and, and therefore we end up with natural results. But when you begin to look into God's word and they give you value from God's word, you begin to find in them uh, something that, that doesn't just deal with your narrow perspective or your, your own way of, of viewing things, but you get a much bigger picture. You see, the Bible is God's personal message to us, and in it, we discover, as I said, how God views the world, and we begin to see what Romans chapter 12 says, 12 and verse 2 says, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world any longer, but be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind, that you may be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. How do you allow your mind to be transformed? You've got to pay attention to the Word of God and allow God's Word to transform your thinking so that you can begin to test what His will is. David said, I've saturated my mind with God's law. I've discovered the, how, how things work. And, and even when it comes to my enemies, I'm wiser than my enemies. How many want to be wiser than your enemies? Wisdom, as we go along in just a moment, is, is really about reading between the lines. Being able to anticipate the needs that happen in light of what might happen. And, and, and that makes me wiser than my Enemies, the end of the verse says they're a constant guide. Some versions say that they are ever with me. That I've so saturated my mind with God's word that his truth is ever with me no matter what situation I go into. No matter what I approach, when I begin to think about how do I want to handle this or what do I want to do, I've been so in God's word, it's so saturated me that all of a sudden the wisdom of his word starts to come up, starts to come up when I begin to think, how do I handle this? What do I do? How do I do this? I'm approaching, what do I do? Because you're in God's word regularly, the wisdom of God's word begins to come. Has anybody ever experienced that before? I've experienced that before. I've experienced that before. There's a few of you. In fact, David wrote earlier, Psalm 119, 11, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. There's value, not only to give him wisdom, but it gave him insight. Yes, I have more insight than my teachers, for I am always thinking of your laws. That's what verse 99 says. Insight is the ability to relate uh, unrelated things in such a way that you see things that other people miss. You see things that other people miss. Insight is, is, is being able to look at two or three things that seem unrelated and, 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 and view the view of Scripture. You go, oh, I see what's coming together here, right? I see what's coming. I'm able to connect the dots and see the bigger picture. That's what Scripture does. Scripture gives you the ability and the wisdom and the insight to be able to read between the lines and not approach certain situations the way everybody else does because you back up and you go, oh, okay, I see what's happening here. I know what's happening here. I've so saturated my mind with God's Word that it, that it gives me insight for how I ought to to live more insight than my teachers. In fact, the end of verse 99 says, for I meditate on your statutes. This is about spending time and saturating and creating a habit where we're meditating on the word of God. Thirdly, how many of you know that God's word can be trusted for living? I am even wiser than my elders, for I have kept your commandments. Part of being wise is learning how to obey the word of God. 
The word of God is applicable for living, and the only way you figure that out is when you decide to put it into practice. When you take God's word that you read and you put it into practice, it's not just something that I read and I don't put it into practice. There are a lot of people who say they have faith, but their actions and their works don't say it. James talks about that. Why? Because they don't put the word of God into practice. Well, how do I know it's going to work? I don't know. How, 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 how do I know? I'm not, I'm not sure this is going to work. I, I don't understand. I, I mean, God, I think you need to explain to me. If I put this in, how is this going to work? I like if I touch A, then B happens. If I do this, then this happens. And I, I want to know how it all works. Sometimes you don't know how it works until you put it into practice. You don't figure it out until you actually do it. We don't often understand how obedience works until we obey. Author and pastor Anley Stanley has a fun little phrase I think illustrates this. He said, to understand why, submit and apply. To understand why, submit and apply. Right? And, and I think Jesus probably put it best, Matthew 7, 24, therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, not only hears, but puts them into practice, obeys them, is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Now you know what happens next, right? The winds and the rains, they come. And, and the, the person who practices, who, who hears the words, puts them into practice, builds his house from the rock, that house stands, right? That house stands. The wind and the rains come. It's a foundation no matter what may come. Fourth, it's the guidance. David received guidance from God's word. God's word was important because he received guidance. It says this in verse 24, your statutes are my delight, they are my counselors. In Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. David is, is picturing someone who, who is walking in some darkness. They can't really see very far ahead of them. But David found that the scriptures, the word of God, even in the dark times, even when we can't see ahead, even when we don't exactly know what the future holds, it's the word of God that guides our path. It's the word of God that sheds light for the next step we need to take. It guides us. It counsels us. Take this step here. Okay, I don't know what's coming. I can't see too far down the road, but Lord, your word is telling me I gotta take this step here. And your word is telling me I gotta take this step here. The word of God guides us. It guides us. God is relational. In fact, Jesus also gave us his Holy Spirit as the counselor, John 14, 26. But when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything that I have told you. Well, how do you know what Jesus has told you? It's in his word. If you want to know what Jesus says, you've got to read his word and the Holy Spirit will give you insight as you read Number five, and last one, why did David love God's word? Because of the perspective he gained by it. Psalm 119, 103, and 104, how sweet, are your word, how sweet your words taste to me. They are sweeter than honey. Your commandments give me understanding. No wonder I hate every false way of life. David says that I read your word and it gives me perspective and shapes what I value. It shapes the value. It shapes my understanding of right and wrong. Today, we've got a mixed up world. We're living in the last days where, where, where Scripture talked about this time, where people would say that, that evil is good and that good is evil. 
That's the world in which we are living in today. The culture in which we are living in today is a culture that says that the things that God's word says are evil, they say, no, 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 that's not evil. That's good. That's good. That's right. And the things that God's word says are good and right, the culture of today says, that's evil. You can't live your life that way. That's, that's hate. That's not loving. That's not kind. You can read between the lines, right? But David found that, that the perspective that he gained from God's word allowed him not to be driven by his feelings, what feels right at the time, but becomes the, the, the truth of my life, the, the very thing that navigates my life, the very thing that determines for me and, and helps me understand what is right and what is wrong. That, that's, God's, that's what God's word does. So, so I'm gonna get practical. We're gonna close with some practical tips if you want to develop a healthy habit of reading the Bible, let me give you three keys. These are three, three simple tools, things that I have found to be very helpful in my own life in developing a habit uh, uh, of reading God's Word, a, a habit of doing that. Number one is this, you need to develop a specific time, a specific time. And, and here's what I've discovered is, as someone personally who has walked through reading the Bible on a regular basis and, and getting into it, and, and can I just be very transparent for a moment? Even if I was not a pastor, I would read God's Word. I read God's Word devotionally for myself, not simply what I'm studying so that I can preach to you. Okay? I just want to make that delineation. The only time I read the Bible is not when I'm studying for sermon material. I read the Bible on a daily basis because it benefits me personally, because it's part of my habit with my personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It has nothing to do with sermon prep. Now, I'm not going to say that sometimes personally there aren't things that God speaks to me that then later on down the road I go, man, I really think this is something I got I to gotta share with everybody else. A lot of times there are things that come out of my personal relationship with Jesus and reading that then become things that I share with you because I want to share with you the value of what I'm gaining from my personal time with the Lord. But every day I've got a personal time with Jesus. Every day I've got a personal set time with Jesus. If you want to develop a habit, you've got to have a set time. I have, a, I have an appointment with Jesus. I have an appointment with Jesus I got a date with Jesus. Mark it on your calendar like you do everybody else. Uh, somebody calls and says, hey, I, I, I need to get together with you. I'm sorry, that time is not available. I've got an appointment. You have an appointment? Yep, I got an appointment. I got an appointment with Jesus. I got an appointment with you. Oh, I only got one amen. Man, oh man. Jesus, Jesus did that. Very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Jesus would often do this. He'd, he'd get away in the early morning hours before the rest of his day could get going. Before there was, there was too much in his day that could get going. He had, a, he, had a habit, he had a habit of spending time with his heavenly father. The words I speak, he said, this is what's so important about that. The words I speak are not my own, but my father who lives in me does his work through me. Jesus said, that's because of the regular time that I spend 
with my heavenly Father. Now, I know it says very early in the morning, there are some of you, you're here at the 9 a.m., I'm probably speaking to the morning crew here for the most part. Some of you probably not, but some of you, you're the morning crew, all right? You probably have a habit in the morning. You have a daily time in the morning. But for some of you, that might not be your time. What is the time that works for you? This is not a legalistic thing, but you need to have a specific time, a specific time. Secondly, you need to have a specific place. You need to have a specific place. Again, when I talk to people who read the Bible on a regular basis, when I look at my own life and what has helped me to develop a habit, I've got a place. I've got a place in my house that is my place that I go where I read the scriptures. It's the place that I go. I just know it. It's right there. My, my, there, my devotional stuff is right there for me every day. It's right there. This is, that's where I go. That's, that's what I do. There's something important about a place. There's something important about having that place that you set aside. Again, in verse 35, early in the morning, still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went to a solitary place where he prayed. There's something important about a place, a specific time, a specific place. And then I think, here's one more that I think is really, really valuable. You have to have a plan, okay? You have to have a plan. I want to encourage you to develop, get a reading plan. Get some type of a reading plan, a plan that says, I'm going to read this this day, and day two, I'm going to do this, and day three, I'm going to do this, and day four, I'm going to do this. There's something important about a plan. It's, it's not that there's not some value sometimes when we go, oh, God, I need wisdom. Oh, God, I need wisdom. Here's my Bible. <laughs> okay, what did I, mm, this verse, what does it say? <laughs> All right. I know God has spoke to some people that way. They have picked up, they've opened the Bible, and right there the Holy Spirit led them to write what they needed. But I'm going to tell you something, that doesn't help you develop a habit. Developing a habit of being in God's Word means you have to have a plan. And, and, and there are great plans that are out there. There are plans you can download on the internet and, and that you can find that are out there and that are absolutely free. There are also things that you can go and you can purchase. There are chronological Bibles that will walk you through that you can follow the Bible along chronologically. But something that I've found that has been very helpful, so for me, one of the things that I've done over and over again, year over year over year, I can't even remember how many years I've done it, is I like, and this is just me, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm there, I like to read through the Bible every year. I like to read the Bible every year. I like to read it through every year. I like to challenge myself every year. And usually every year I read it in a different translation. And I pick a different type of plan. I've done it chronologically. I've also done a plan. And right now the one that I'm in has some passages from the Old Testament and mixes in some passages from the New Testament. Last year the plan that I had had the Old Testament, the New Testament, and the Psalms. I read through the Psalms twice. I read through the Gospels four times every quarter. I read through the New Testament twice. And I read through the Old Testament because I had a plan. That's an intense plan. Don't start there. If you don't have a habit, don't start there, okay? Download an app on your phone called YouVersion. It's free. It's called the YouVersion Bible app, and there are a ton of plans that are on there. I'm just practical. This is practical nuts and bolts. This isn't stuff where, come to the altar stuff, all right? This is just practical nuts and bolts, because this will change your life. 
And there are short-term plans. There are five-day plans. There are plans where you just, you've got a little bit and it's got a devotional written with it that will help you to be able to understand what you have written along, what you have read along with it. It's written for you so that you can understand it. And then there are longer plans. There are plans that will help you to read through the New Testament in the year. There are plans that will help you read through the Bible in a year. There are plans, and they're day by day. And, and I love it because if you're a to-do list person like I am and you love to check boxes, like, ooh, I did that. Ooh, that made me feel good. That's just me. I know that's not everybody. That's me. I'm weird like that, okay? I mean, every day, every, every week as I start my week, I, I have a, a, a little to-do list thing called to-do, and I put in what I need to do, and then when new things come up, because every day new things come up, I have to add them to the list because I'm getting old and I can't remember everything. I know you say, you're not that old yet, pastor. Trust me, I can't remember everything. And you'll never remember where I've read, what I've read, if you don't have a plan and you're not checking it off. So I want to encourage you, have a specific time, get a specific place, find a specific plan. But whatever you do, get into God's Word. Get into God's Word. Get into God's Word. There are benefits of developing a habit of engaging with the Scriptures and really, when you, when, you, when you take that habit of prayer, or that habit of reading, and you combine it with a habit of prayer, I'm going to tell you something. Powerful things happen in your life. Transformation happens in your life. Let me close with a quote from Rick Warren. I know everybody has different feelings about him, but I'm going to tell you something. This quote is right on the money. Reading the Bible generates life. It produces change. It heals hurts. It builds character, it transforms circumstances, it imparts joy, it overcomes adversity, it defeats temptation, it infuses hope, it releases power, and it cleanses the mind. It's spiritual food. It's spiritual food. It's spiritual food. So I want to encourage you today to make a decision to let God's word become a daily part of your life, a daily habit in your life. Let's bow our heads today. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I know that today wasn't a, wasn't a message with a whole lot of conviction and fire. It was very practical today, more teaching today about the value of God's word. But God's word breathes life into us. And maybe today you're here and you would just indicate, Pastor, I just need God's word. I just, I just need life breathed into me today. Maybe you're struggling today. Maybe you're just going through something, or maybe you've, you've never given your life to Christ, or maybe you just have never, you, you've struggled with, with even reading God's Word or developing a habit in God's Word, and you'd say, Pastor, I just need some help to develop this. I, I, need, I need some spirit life to help me with this. And if you're here today, and you'd say, Pastor, will you pray for me? I want to develop a habit of, of reading God's Word, and I just know that I I need some help along the way. I need the help of the Holy Spirit along the way. I need him to help me. If that's you, will you slip up your hand? I just want to pray for you today. I want to pray for you today. Pastor, that's me. I need some help. I want to get into God's word, but I struggle. Yeah. Jesus, you see the hands that are raised. And, and Lord, there is so much value in your word that the enemy does whatever he can to try to rob the seed. The enemy tries to do whatever he can to try to, to steal that seed away. So I come against the worries and cares of this life and Lord, I just pray, Lord, that the, the depth of your seed will plunge deep and that you will allow your word just to, to begin to saturate the soil 
uh, uh, of our lives. Lord, for those that raise their hands, we need the power of your Holy Spirit. Give them a hunger and a desire, Father, to, to get into your word on a daily basis. I just pray, Lord, against distractions and busyness, and I pray that, that Father, there would be just a, a, something inside, a hunger that cannot be quenched, a, a desire, Lord, just to get into your word, to get into your word today, to know you and to get into your word and dig in. Father, thank you for the value of your word. And today we submit ourselves to you. God, we're available for you to, to speak to our hearts, to, to guide us and lead us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you're encouraged by this message. For more information about Painesville Assembly of God, visit PainesvilleAG.com.